Thank you for watching and listening to the best barbecue show. I'm here at the Certified Angus Beef Conference. Uh, I am joined here with Kevin Yon and Jeremiah Bacon. How's it going, guys? It's going great. Great. Uh, Jeremiah, tell us a little about what you do and, uh, and where you're from. Uh, we're based out of Charleston, South Carolina, and I help oversee uh, Oak Steakhouse and also the Macintosh. Uh, and then we've got a few Oak Steakhouses throughout the Southeast, so just kind of support team for those chefs. And uh, yeah, it's a never a dull moment. And Kevin? I'm Kevin Yon. My wife, Lydia, and I are part of Yon Family Farms. We're a seed stock Angus operation in central South Carolina, a little town called Ridge Spring. So y'all aren't that far from each other? About two hours. Yeah, yeah. two hours. That in, in rancher terms, that's not too far, right? No, not a bit. <laughs> Just a skip and a hop. <laughs> and uh, I was told that recently you guys switched jobs. We, we did. did. <laughs> so was that, a, was that a cab idea or was that y'all wanted to just do that or? Maybe we kind of talked about the idea and certainly Certified Angus Beef took our idea and ran with it and made it happen. Nice. Yeah. Um, which one of you wants to go first? Let Jeremiah. All right. Tell us well, about ranching, Jeremiah. It was, it was awesome. So I had visited the ranch before. So just, and we see each other at events at least once a year and sometimes more. We just started talking about a lot of times we'll do sort of field trips with the staff. So we'll take staff up there and let them experience that as well and see what goes on. Talk about certified Angus beef and it's just wonderful, wonderful experience for them. And that's something that they can in turn relate to the, to the you know, customer. So we did, uh, we started off, I got up there at seven for their, we call, you know, we do a lineup before service. So it was kind of their lineup in the barn kind of what the, everyone's duties were that day and just sort of notes and that kind of stuff and assignments and we quick prayer and then we were off. And uh, fun started, lasted all day. It was a day full. <laughs> <laughs> and so Jeremiah wanted more. He wasn't ready to go home. <laughs> oh, that's a good thing to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I know kitchens and ranches are both hard work. It's, yeah, and that's something that Jeremiah have often, we've talked about is just how many similarities our roles are and, and hard work is the core of it. Those guys, I tell Jeremiah, they work harder than us ranchers. And I believe that. It's longer hours, tougher work, wow. and um, they deal with the public. We just have to deal with the cows. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it felt like uh, working in the kitchen? It did. It was, um, I was amazed of how hard it really was. It was hot and it was fast paced <laughs> and um, you had to be on your A game. And there were people that had paid their hard-earned money that were counting on you doing their job. Nice. And Jeremiah, how uh, how many tops to also give us a description of the restaurant? I mean, how many people are you running through there every night? Uh, it's about 120 seats. Um, it's a, in a historic building. It's an old bank. So there's three levels. Wow. So there's a lot of running up the stairs. So every all the guys have the most comfortable shoes because they're running up and down the stairs all day. Um, the down two, the d first two levels are sort of a little bit more casual setting as far as no time, no dining, um, no tablecloths, all wood, and the top floor is sort of the 
the quieter, more. We've got the bird room in the front. We've got the it's very it's kind of fine dining upstairs. Um, so we get we get bankers, lawyers, workers on Broad Street coming in for happy hour. There's a big residential area behind us. Locals coming in a couple times a week, and then lots of tourism as well, which is pretty big in Charles. So we run the you know it could be happy hour or banging going into a big service. It's it's. Uh, we we had, we do quite a few walk-ins every night too. So, <laughs> uh, and Kevin, was it a uh, what, what was the biggest challenge going from a ranch to a restaurant? You know, I, I joked with Jeremiah and said he was a lot more help on the ranch than I was could ever have been in the restaurant, and it was so true. I felt like I was a bit in the way, but um, they were very patient with me, and they made me work um, from shucking oysters to cutting meat earlier that day, yeah. and. Um, we were cutting 16 ounce yep, revise. 16 ounce revise. Wow. And um, that was a lot of fun to doing the prep work to actually being there at the grill. So when you're cutting ribeyes, are you using a machine or are you, uh, are you just using a big knife? We used a big knife and um, they wanted every one of them to be just perfect. And, um, they were. So that wasn't just cut, That's so you got to get the thickness right plus a little bit of trim? Yes. And that was, so for instance with the ribeyes too, I mean, some of the loins are a little bit, they vary just a little bit. So you've got to kind of eyeball it and then weigh it and kind of get your get your groove going. We were with Dave. Dave does all our butchering for us. And um, we do have a bandsaw we'll use for bone-in steaks, but we get the primals in, we do all the butchering. Uh, Beautiful meat that we were getting to work with. I was very, very, very proud of it. Yeah. And I was told you worked everywhere from the dish pit on. We did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and even in front of the house. He did made a couple table touched some tables. Oh, that's, yeah, that's double beautiful. table visits. Yeah. Uh, and so did you have Jeremiah, did you have to change the gear you wore? Did you have to borrow some car hearts to work on the ranch or what? <laughs> I did. I was in jeans and I had my kitchen wow. shoes on, but uh, <laughs> they fit into the, the, the saddle pretty well and the horse. Nice. Um, Jeremiah, um, <laughs> we did at, there at the ranch together, we um, even attempted to perform artificial insemination on a cow. I heard you, that was the first thing you made him Yeah, <laughs> and you have to get really close and personal yeah. with that cow. Absolutely. And um, he liked it, and she liked it. And um, we tied calves. He yep. drove the big feed truck. Nice. Um, the feed truck was pretty cool. It's an old army truck or converted. It was a military surplus yeah. truck that has a feed body on the back with scales, and it's like a big mixer in Jeremiah's restaurant. We put the different feed ingredients in there by weight that our nutritionist designs this ration. And um, so Jeremiah got to go out and deliver meals to our cattle. Yeah. Um, drove a tractor and raked hay. Yep. Rode a horse. So we had a, a big day and he was just so adaptable. And it was fun for us to see that he truly enjoyed what, what we do. And um, anytime we can share our ranch with someone that truly enjoys it, it's just fun for us to see that through their through their lamps. Absolutely. And you made sure it was a lady before you uh, you worked on that first uh, heifer, right? Yeah. <laughs> we uh, might, might have tried to trick them. That was um, going up and tagging the calf was was really fun. I mean, just like to sneak up on it so she wouldn't wake up, and they jump on her, and then the mama cow was coming over there looking at us, and it was like, <laughs> we yeah. actually tagged the calf. We um, took for identification. We weighed it. Yep. And we gave it a a, a vaccination. Well, yeah, and uh, you know we just had uh, Stacy and Troy on uh, from 
uh, South Dakota, mm -hmm. and they were talking about how important nutrition and the veterinarian are to a ranch because they're you know they keep all of the the herd healthy. Right. Uh, and so, did you know? Do you know if that that stuck? Are you like kind of the father to that? Uh, we were just talking soon? about it, so we're gonna have to look up the number. I've got the number somewhere. Especially in my the heifer calf that he um, got to tag. They had a bit. They made a bit of a bond. So I'm gonna go back and, and see where she is today, and I hope she becomes a um, a brood matron at Young Family Farms. We might even name her after Jeremiah. That would be cool. Yeah, Jerry. There you go. Jerry. Uh, so, how did you all meet to begin with? Um. We certified yeah, Angus beef, and, and the oak brought their staff to our farm. And uh, when Jeremiah was fairly yeah, that was the, the first year. So, yeah. um, anytime that restaurateurs or food service people want to come see where their product comes from, we're always happy to have them and, and really enjoy showing them exactly what we do and, and everything we do and, and want them to understand the, the hows and the whys. It's all got a purpose, it's all got a meaning. Yeah, and I, I'm in Texas, so I'm lucky enough to go to the Agricultural Center at Texas A&M and really see all the ways that, that beef is processed, the way it's graded, uh, and I, I think it's so important. I mean, don't you think it's great for the Oak Steakhouse staff and them to see way beyond just a package coming into the steakhouse? Absolutely. Just, you know, we're part of that chain. We're the very end of it, and... We see all the hard work and dedication, the time that's been put into it, and the care and the passion. That's a lot of responsibility for us to take that to the across the finish line and make sure it's a you know cooked to the right temperature, the way the guest wants it. So we uh, we take that role very seriously. Well, and certified Angus beef, uh, you know, and Kevin here do provide a, a much more consistent product, I believe, right? Absolutely, and that's what makes it so neat in the. In the beef chain, I'm at one end at the very beginning with the genetics, and Chef Jeremiah is at the very other end. And our success is really dependent on each other doing our jobs. Um, he can't make a purse out of a sow's ear, and we could give him the greatest product in the world. But if there was something that happened in the kitchen, or you know, it could result into a unsatisfactory eating experience. So we love the our connection because we both have a passion to be sure it's a great eating experience each and every time somebody buys certified on this beef. So I'm going to ask you first, Kevin, what's your favorite way to cook a, a steak? I still love a steak in my backyard on my um, little rinky-dink grill. <laughs> Just hot, hot charcoal? Hot charcoal, yeah. And uh, you do, you flip it a lot, you flip it once? No, and um, try to flip it once. Yes, just one good flip. One good flip. Nice yeah. thick ones. Yeah, like them thick. And do you, uh, I was talking uh, to a bunch of ranchers about this. Some of them will purposely keep a higher grade heifer because they know the genetics are good. Do you generally try to send all those um, to the feedlot or are you, uh, are you trying to keep a couple for yourself or for home? Usually we send the very best because we need to get paid for it and, and um, we still won't good for our family and our employees, but um, usually we try to send the very best on to folks like Jeremiah, and, and certainly we keep good ones for ourselves, so we and enjoy it. How big's your herd? How big's your ranch? Um, we run about 1,500 mama cows, wow. 
on a on a ranch that's about four thousand acres. And is that mostly family? You have a pretty big staff there. Yeah, it's um, that's a neat part of the story. My wife Lydia and I are first generation Angus producers, and we kind of started our farm from scratch. And now our um, three adult children have come back to the farm and um, have brought two spouses. In. And we also have, um, we're one big family, we have non-family members as part of our team too. But it's a, a team effort and um, the people are the, the key part to being sure we deliver a good and wholesome product each and every time. Now that's not an easy task, starting first generation. You know, a lot of the people I've talked to are fourth, fifth generation, They've, it's been in their family. So y'all just figured it out from scratch? Or? Well, I'm not sure we've got it figured out yet. We're <laughs> figuring it as we go, but so far um, we've been at it on our own for 22 years and it's been very good. And, and that's why we're indebted to a program like Certified Angus Beef that allows ranchers like us to, to make a living and to bring back the next generation because to be sustainable, we've got to be profitable and we've got to have a, a product that someone like Chef Jeremiah and his customers are demanding so um, we're very thankful for that. Now 1500 is a big number. Is that, do, do different family members have houses on different parts of the ranch? Are you all in one big house? No, we're not in one big house <laughs> like, like you might see in the movies. Uh, we're kind of scattered out in little houses on, on different parts of the farm. And do y'all ride horses? Y'all have side-by-sides, uh, ATVs, a little bit of everything? A little bit of everything. We, um, we use four-wheelers and side-by-sides quite a bit. We have horses and we love using horses. Um, they're not quite as easy as to jump on and saddle up as that, that four-wheeler, but we use all of it and it takes all of it. Um, there's places that we may move cattle that we have to use horseback and we like to do that. Well, I know Jeremiah's probably using a lot of technology to run, you know, those hundreds of tables a day. Are you using any technology, keeping it mostly old school, or do you have drones or anything that you use for, because that's a lot of cattle to keep track of. Yeah, um, we just recently got a drone, wow. and um, we use technology such as Precision, Precision Ag, where we're using GPS to, as we um, are farming, as we grow our feed, or as we water management. Um, there's just so many technologies technologies so a big one that we're using is genomic testing with our cattle where we're actually DNA sampling every calf that's born on the place and um, there's traits that the genomic test let us know if that calf possessed those traits like maternal abilities growth abilities and, and eating characteristics carcass traits so the technology is always changing we um, as long as it can make us produce a safe and wholesome product we're, we're very attentive to technology Wow. And I know that keeping track of the numbers, keeping track of, because you can, um, do, you, do you go, do you own the cow straight through the feedlot or do you sell them off? At our ranch, most of them we own all the way through. Yep. We retain ownership and own them all the way through till, um, till they get to the packing house. And is that, is there some sort of software that, that you share with the, the feedlot to keep track? Because I know... You want to know the grade of every single one yes. of those efforts, right? Yes. Um, it's very important. The, the beef business is fairly segmented, and it's very important that we communicate between the segments. So um, we're very interested in getting that data back from the, our packing partner of, of quality grades. And, and if we do feed at a custom feed yard, how the cattle stayed healthy and how they gained and how they converted feed to, to gain. Now, you mentioned growing feed you 
on a grass diet, and then you have the feed that you grow as well? Yeah. Um, our operation is no different than other cattle operations across the country. Our cattle stay on grass most of their lives. They're ruminants. That's what they were created to utilize grass and other forages. Um, so our cattle are pasture-raised most all their life. Um, there at the end, in the finishing stage, um, they would go to an area where they would, would get a diet that would have a little more concentrate. It could be corn or something. And that's what gives us the finish on the cattle. That's where the cattle get the marbling that allows them to um, get in that upper two-thirds of the choice quality grade, which gives us the taste, which Jeremiah's customers come to him wanting that marbling, wanting that explosion of taste when they um, bite into that nice steak. Now, Jeremiah, are you getting racks at a time? I mean, are you doing a lot of butchering at, at the restaurant? Sounds like you're cutting steaks. We do. We do a lot of butchering there. Um, yeah, we, I mean, all the butchering. Yeah. So give us an idea of you know what what service prep looks like. Service prep, um, we butcher probably if not every day every other day, um, probably about five days a week. So um, gearing up for the you know Friday we'll be gear up for the, the, those two days. Sunday we'll butcher as well. Um, we do our own grinds for our burgers. So you've got once you've got all the steaks taken care of, we still have to prep the rest of the, you know, because we'll have seafood, we've got, we're on the coast, so um, we're getting fish in all the time. Uh, each individual station, the pantry, the garmage station, the saute station. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to do. There's a lot to do. So are you breaking down, you said ribeyes, how many other steaks are on the menu? We've got ribeyes, we've got strips, we've got dry aged ribeyes and strips. Uh, we run fillets, we run a bistro, we run a mixed grill, uh, which is a combination of a couple. We actually have one lamb chop on there as well. Um, and there's a couple different weights as well. So we can have a heavier bone-in fillet. Uh, we can have 16, uh, 12 ounce fillet and eight ounce um, bone-in strips as well. Sometimes the Kansas City. Does that come as one piece and you guys butcher it down for whatever? It you is. That's what we'll use the bandsaw for the, from the bone ends. And the night I was there, ground beef was very popular. I was surprised at what a, a popular item yeah. ground beef was. Yeah. Usually we'll sell a lot during happy hour burgers, but every once in a while I just get if it's a especially in the beginning of the week with the locals will just pop over for a burger. It's a it's a big burger. It's a it's ten a ounce burger. Very big. Truffle fries. Very tasty. Yeah, it eats well. Do you do a tartare or anything else? With we the do. Meat? We do a tartare. We do also a carpaccio, which is a big seller. Wow. Yeah, carpaccio is it outsells the uh, tartare actually. Now, do you get specific beef for that, or are you using trimmings from some of the steaks, a mixture of yeah, both? We will use trim from the fillets for that, and for the tartare, we'll use fillet and a little bit of strip in there. But do you get a, like a brisket or anything else? For no, burgers? everything that we're fabricating would take that trim, so we utilize So that. it's just burgers all from trim? The burgers, we actually, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. We do get a little brisket in, and that, uh, that uh, there's three other parts. We'll do the filet, ribeye, and strip that go in there. Um, and we had... Sounds like a good burger. It's solid. It's we This is about 10 years ago. We came up, we did about 14 different grinds. We had we had some seed. Dave McBain was there and came down and helped us out um, just to get the, the fat ratio, the flavor, with all the trim that we kind of utilize. So um, it's been it's been been that recipe since. It's solid. Yeah. Uh, and so 
when you say you sell a lot of burgers, that's like a happy hour thing? You say the locals like them? They do. They do. So a lot. We've got a pretty active happy hour bar there. And this uh, oysters on the half shell are wonderful. Oysters on the half shell. Oysters from Rockefeller are really good. Yes. Yeah. So. Sounds like you ate hard and ate well. We eat hard and well every time we go to Charleston, <laughs> South Carolina, at the Oak Steakhouse. So were you a customer before you guys decided to switch places? I don't think I'd ever been. Oh, yeah. Yeah. CAB put us, they introduced us, and then it's, yes, that was almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Amazing. A few more silver hair on it. And... <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, and, you know, the, the fans of the show know that I talk to hardworking people every day. I mean, these guys take some of your briskets, probably, uh, and cook them for 12, 14, 16 hours. Uh, and I, I am kind of drawn to people that like to work hard. I, I've told many people that I want to work as hard on this show, honoring what y'all are doing, you know, working as hard as you do to cover all the things that y'all are doing. So when you, when you think about, you know, I, I love being here at Certified Angus Beef Conference because it's such a high grade of meat. It's something that you know you can pick up. You know, I'm not, they didn't pay me to be here. They invited yeah. me and it's a, it's a beautiful thing because it's my chance to show off this hard-working, you know, high-grade piece of beef. Is that for your restaurant, for your ranch? Was that something that someone kind of told you about? Or was that something that from the beginning you were like, this is what I want? For me, for me, we actually, when I first came on board, we taste-tested probably six different brands. And we kept coming back to CAB. We did that for, for a couple years. Even though it's like, well, we just did it last year. It's like, well, let's just. And then after a while, I was like, we don't need to do this. This is CAB is, it's winning every time. I mean, it just the consistency was beautiful. So we, uh, yeah, we were, we were introduced to it and sold on it. It was, it was an easy decision. Yeah, it's, it's not a hard sell. <laughs> not yeah. at all. And as a producer of Certified Angus Beef, it's just gratifying to hear someone like Jeremiah share that. And um, that's our goal. It should be good each and every time. There should be no excuses. Um, it should be a celebratory thing, you know? People, um, when they get ready to celebrate a birthday or anniversary or a graduation or a cancer-free day, us, you know, let's go have a great steak. And let's go to the Oak and do that. And um, as a producer of that product, we don't want Jeremiah to be wondering, is it going to be good this time or not? It should be good. It should be good, and it is good each and every time. And how much, you know, it sounds like you've got a big family, you've got a lot of people on the ranch. How much beef are you guys, how much you got in the freezer? You got giant freezers full of it? Or? We do. We, um, <laughs> lots of times people good. ask us how many times we eat beef a week. Well, that would be most every day. Wow. And um, we do enjoy other meats and vegetables as well as seafood but we um, we do eat good we enjoy good beef and it's something that our family and our employees families enjoy as well. Now do you all have vegetable gardens and other things that you grow there besides cattle? We have small vegetables um, we also as a farm we grow some sweet corn. Really? Yeah so um, we sell sweet corn there out of the back of a truck in our little town. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> and so I know uh, a lot of places use the Schwan Man and a lot of these other things are you filling up the freezer is there like a favorite are all the kids eating chicken nuggets when they're not eating beef or anything like that um we don't buy a lot of the protein <laughs> that's good to hear yeah I, I was talking to uh 
uh, Debbie Lyons Blythe, and she was talking about how uh, you know her family loves to get pizza and things because they think it's so exotic because they're yeah, always homemade, right. and everyone else is like, you get to eat steak every day. <laughs> so uh, you know your ranch compared to a lot of the guys I've been talking to, you have a huge ranch. Uh, is that a ranching part of the Carolinas, or are you kind of right off the beaten path of the city? Give us a sense of where, where you're at. We're in a very rural area between Columbia, South Carolina, and Augusta, Georgia, which is in the west central part of our state. It's a very um, diverse agricultural area. There's um, this really peach country. Lots of peach trees. Um, there's vegetables, there's corn, there's cotton, and there's beef cattle. That's not far from the mountains. Uh, we're kind of right between the coast and the mountains. Wow. Yep. So the, the, the land must be beautiful. Yep. It's very rolling. It's very fertile. And um, agriculture is a way of life in my area, even right here in South Carolina. And have you been out there much, Jeremiah, besides the day you worked? I've been out there a couple times. Uh, we're just talking about their next uh, cow sale is October 26th. Yes. So That's we're going to try birthday. to get up there. It's your birthday? Uh, we'll be we, thinking about you. We have two <laughs> annual. We sell Angus seed stock. So we sell Angus bulls to other beef producers across the southeast. And we have two annual auctions, one in February and our next one, October 26th, where we'll sell some 300 Angus bulls that will scatter out to beef producers all across the southeast that hopefully will result into more certified Angus beef. Now, is that an auction? Or how yes, exactly? It's a live auction. So you got a fast talker, you got people oh, yeah. hanging out, you got people rubbing their noses and yeah. doing all those little things. It's a, it's a very exciting day. Yeah. It's the fairest way that we know to market our it's seed stock. It gives everybody a fair chance and all they have to do is put their hand in the air. And so how many bulls are you selling off on one of those days? Um, this coming October we'll sell right at 300 bulls. Wow. Yeah. And. How long does that take? To that will take about um, three hours. Really, that fast? Yeah, it's pretty fast. That's a hundred an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been to some of the auctions Don't fall in asleep. Texas, <laughs> and it's like they they they're kind of indoors, and they have a little pen that they run them in, and as fast as they can walk through, they're basically sold. Is it kind of like that? Yes. Yeah. And there's an indoor a, space that, that yeah. you do it in. In our barn there, and there's um, farmers and cattle ranchers from all over that have come there to buy these Angus seed stock to carry back to use to buy the genetics to carry back home to use on their cows. Now are there like 300 people buying 300? Yeah we hope for um, 300 or more people. Yeah. Is that does anyone ever have to go home with nothing? Uh, we hate for them to leave empty-handed but it sometimes happens. <laughs> Every once in a while. And is there anyone buying are people buying multiples? Yeah. So there, there's people there coming that really have some big ranches and they're looking for some, right. some good studs. And not, was, o- not only are they on the seats, but we have it broadcast on the World Wide Web so they actually can be at home clicking and bidding from their comfort of their living room. Or um, we also have a conference call. They could be watching it and bidding by telephone. I was so impressed after it was over how they had to the cra- come in, corral them, and then get the cattle on theirs and they were zipping out. They yeah. were, that was, it was like an airport. Bring their trailers and actually carry home their purchases that day. About a third do, but the other two thirds we actually deliver. As a family, we go out and we load the truck and every morning and we go from farm to farm delivering the bulls that they bought. So that's really a, it's a lot of work and it's very time consuming and expensive, but it gives us a chance to go to farms all across the Southeast. And um, a lot of what has worked 
good for us is stuff that we've picked up from other farms and ranches. And how far out are these these guys going? Are they going all the way west or? Yeah, we're um we go from the deep swamps of South Florida to the frozen hills of New York and um, over to the Mississippi River and sometimes beyond. So you ever you ever sell off to Texas? We have Texas, Montana. Wow. Yeah. And you deliver to Texas and Montana? We do. That that sounds like a fun road trip. <laughs> That's a road trip. <laughs> now when when you. When you're taking cattle that far, you got to feed them and do things along the way? Or? Yes, we would stop and, and rest them and, and um, give them feed and water. Yeah. Well, take good care of them. And is that, I've always wondered because in Texas you see cattle all the time on the back of trucks. And, well, not on the back of trucks, but on trailers. Right. Uh, and are you, do they even really notice that they're going anywhere? Are they enjoying, like, are they like puppies, like sticking their head out the window? You know, um, they really handle it very well. They seem to um, not mind it one bit, as long as you know they get some rest, and um, just like us. But it seems like oftentimes they're up for the road trip. They're ready to see their new home and ready to go meet the girls. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. They know they're going to a party. Just imagine, you get turned out with um, 30 cows. <laughs> and do you, it sounds like it's, it's kind of a party. Is there, is there kind of a celebration at the end of the auction? I wouldn't say there's a real celebration, but we like for it to be more than just an auction. We want it to be an event that, that people, whether they have cattle or not, can come and enjoy it. And, and if someone is coming there to buy cattle, we want it to be a, where they want to bring their children and their wives want to come and their grandchildren. And it's a real family atmosphere. We, um, we feed them. And, and even Chef Jeremiah at our last sale um, brought his, like, his food truck and he really spoiled them because now they're gonna want his food at every sale. <laughs> that was the smoker I was telling you about. We did okay. smoked uh, beef belly tacos. Wow. Beef belly yeah. tacos, and yeah. they were good. How did you cook those? Uh, we cooked those, it takes about six hours. Smoke them, um, kind of same style as a brisket. And we've got a, a rub we put on it. And we had, we had a lot of folks there. It was their first time eating beef belly. And there's a it couple people scratching their heads, and oh boy, once they had it, man, they were going, they were going big. <laughs> and is that just like on a tortilla? You make a yep. little salad or something? We did. We had a tortilla. We had a crema on there. We had some uh, some some lettuce, and we had some tomatoes. Um, yeah, it was solid. They eat very well. <laughs> now, is that? I know there's like a hanger steak that's mm -hmm. kind of on the belly, right? Yep. Is that is that kind of the cut? No, this or? actually it's called the beef navel, and it looks like a slab of bacon. Wow. It's almost same size, everything. Um, and it's just, it's unbelievable. I'm sure it was falling Unbelievable. apart. Unbelievable. Yeah, well, we were just in that, uh, the food expo over yeah. there, and some guys had some beef bacon, the schmacon. Yeah. That was pretty interesting. Did you guys get to try that? We did, we did. Yeah, that's always Very a, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is it interesting to to be so deep into the beef industry? Do you guys ever go to whole hog cooks? I mean, we're in the Carolinas, and and hog is king as much as anything else out here. Uh, do you have a favorite place? You know, I'm going to go visit Elliot Moss while I'm here. Nice. Uh, Bucks and Hog. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you guys have like a favorite pork dish or something that you do? Because a lot of the barbecue guys in Texas, they're used to beef. But, yeah. You know, I I'd love to hear what people in the Carolinas are doing with pork. You don't eat a lot of pork, right? I do. We <laughs> actually love pork barbecue <laughs> and it's very popular in the Carolinas. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's Dependent upon what part of the state you are in the Carolinas, it could be a mustard-based sauce or a, a tomato-based. Or uh, my favorite is more of what we call the Low Country, would be a 
black pepper and a vinegar based. So something a little simpler. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up on mustard base, so for pulled pork. Um, we just did a wedding this a couple days ago. We had 16 pork butts in that smoker and um, made sliders with that. It was, man, that's good stuff. I do love ribs. I love barbecue ribs as well. Rodney Scott's in Charleston, uh, so we're very fortunate to have him there. So he's right around. He's a couple blocks from my house, actually. So. And John Lewis, who's a John Lewis big is fan in. of John, Star Fighting Beats. Yeah, and brought uh, he brought the Texas style to Charleston. I was missing, and man, he is doing really well. Yeah, and uh, I, I still have I, I have to catch up with him because I, I always hung out with him in Texas. Yeah, that was before I even had a show. So I need to find out. I'm not. Do you, do you know why he chose to come all the way out here? I don't. Yeah, I'm, I don't. I'm curious of his reasons. Yeah. He, he was kind of a king of the scene in, yeah. in Austin. He's the king of the, the beef scene yeah, now in he's Charleston. Got his own scene. Yeah, yeah. He built it himself. <laughs> he's got a big cow on the side of the building. Yep. Now, uh, were you, Kevin, were you one of the people that got your barn branded? We did. I think we're barn number four. The 40 barns, and it was a. Um, we were honored that they chose our little place there in South Carolina to to put the certified Angus beef logo on our barn. And our barn is a a hub for our activities. And we had a barn before we had a house, and um, our children were raised in the barn, <laughs> so to speak. And um, our barn is where we meet every morning. Jeremiah mentioned that it's where we have our cattle sales. It's where we, um, if there's a community party or a wedding shower or even we've had weddings there at our barn so our barn's very special to us it's not a very fancy barn and not very big barn but we're very pleased to have the certified angus beef logo on the side of our barn so did you live in trailers when when you didn't have a house we um lived in a, a small tenant house there on the farm yeah and so tell, you know, the people listening might not know about Brand the Barn and what Certified Angus Beef was doing. They painted 40 barns, right? Right. Um, the brand was started in 1978 by um, a select group of Angus breeders. They um, wanted to promote Angus beef because they trusted the, the eating qualities of Angus beef. And um, today we've got a brand that's selling over a billion pounds a year. And um, here in last year, we celebrated our 40th anniversary of Certified Angus Beef, wow. started in 1978. And um, to celebrate those 40 years, um, Certified Angus Beef chose 40 barns all across the country to which paint the Certified Angus Beef logo on that barn. And that was hand-painted, right? I saw yes, some pictures. Hand, hand-painted. So that's a, a, that's a piece of art almost. It is a very um, well-done piece of art. Um, Troy traveled the countryside doing those. It was a, a neat artist that did it. And uh, I'm guessing he, he ate well when he was at your place painting? <laughs> I suspect Troy, um, even though that's hard work, I would think by barn 40, he might have gained 40. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it was so cool to see, you know, the growth of beef, the, the growth, you know, I, one of the reasons, not, not the reason I moved to Texas, but one of the reasons I was happy to go to Texas was because beef is king. Uh, and it's it's so cool to see the brand represented. So it's so cool to see. You know, I've been to a lot of conferences, and, and not every you know barbecue brand, and not all these conventions have uh, you know the money and the all the ranchers behind them that, that CAB does. But it, they really put a, a great show on. You know, between the food last night, all the open fire. Uh, did you guys have a favorite bite from you know uh, the the Gadbros or, or some of the other cooks? 
It all was good. It was. I had it all. It was, it was good. great. The Even sp- the salmon was good. <laughs> the smoked salmon. Yeah, the Spinellas pinwheels were, were one of the highlights for me. Yeah, the Spinellas yeah, was bad. Yeah, man, that's sawdust. We, ha- we, sell, we sell the Spinellas at the Macintosh, and that's been on since. We just, actually, this week uh, is our eighth anniversary. That's been on the menu since day one. And so you actually trim off the spinel. Well, we used to, and then it, it, we couldn't keep up. So we actually, get, they're pre-portioned. They come in, they're butchered at the uh, Buckhead Beef and uh, at CAB Spinalis. It is unbelievable. We call it the Deckle. Yeah. And, and for <laughs> what those, do you call it? The Deckle. The Deckle. Deckle, yeah. Gotcha. For those listening, it's, it's that kind of curve at the top of a ribeye, would you yes. say? Yes, yes. That, that has a lot cap. of marbling. It's if if I'm eating a ribeye, that's the first bite, and then that's the last bite. So well, and and as someone who I, I've been obsessed with uh, learning how to sharpen knives and you know learning the grains and how to not only cook something properly but cut it properly, yeah. it's kind of a, it, it's kind of hard because it, it curves in a way that you almost have to cut it off to to cut it properly. Sometimes, yeah, um, you know, we will take the, whole, the entire flap off only get like four or five portions out of each one so we used to sell the eye of the ribeye we sold the deckle and then the deckle just took off we've taken it off once or twice just you know for a month when the price got out of hand and boy we just get the phone calls like what are you doing and put it back so it's been on since day one man i would say the only people more vocal than the enthusiasts are the customers that's right because if you change anything especially at a big restaurant like yours you'll hear about it yep (laughs) So, I've been covering all kinds of barbecue now, you know, way beyond just the offset smokers in Texas. And we're seeing a lot of this kind of South American, Argentinian, Brazilian, open fire. Uh, you know, Chef uh, Tony Biggs had that swinging, yeah. <laughs> uh, almost Santa Maria pit. Are you seeing that in the restaurants around? Are you seeing it in the ranchers? I see it at events a lot. In the restaurants, it can be tough if you don't have that hood for a wood-burning um, but it's something you can do in the Carolinas? Yes, you just have to have a separate hood for that, gotcha. for anything wood burning. So it can be expensive. Um, but at events, we do, you saw the Cowboy Cauldron last night. Yeah. So we do a lot of those. Um, we do a lot of outdoor cooking. We have an outdoor grill at the Macintosh in the back patio. And we'll do rotisseries on that. Um, so yeah, I see it mostly at outdoor events and, and festivals. In the restaurant, uh, one of our restaurants in Florence has a wood-burning grill, so you just got to build it into it. That hood's got to be specific for, for the exhaust. Yeah, uh, in Austin, actually, there's a huge boom of... There's actually people that are building almost like a, like a kebab rotisserie, but you put coals all around it instead of having a, a flame or a gas burner. There's guys that are building these huge... I mean, it takes two guys to move some of the pieces inside these big wooden hearths or wow. stone hearths that are burning wood. And uh, it, it's really interesting to see because when you have something like that, and a lot of these restaurants are putting it where you can sit at the table and see the fire burning, you know, it's really fun to see that we're all, even though, you know, everyone's got a computer in their pocket and we've got drones and all the technology in the world, People still want to see the fire cooking their food. Yeah, even in, even in your dinky grill, Kevin. Absolutely, <laughs> the fire is very captivating. It is. Do you ever have you ever thought about just taking a, a quarter or a side of beef and hanging it on some big apparatus and 
throwing a party? You guys ever do stuff like that? We, um, a few years back, we, um, some friends of ours, we made a homemade spit, and we did just that, and um, it turned out great. We haven't done it since. We should redo it. We should revive our spit, but it did turn out. And, <laughs> and you know, um, Jeremiah can speak to this better than I, but beef is... Um, Maybe a little more challenging to do those. You got to kind of know more of what you're doing. Maybe pork is more forgiving, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, maybe not. It kind of depends on the cut too. <laughs> I mean, what cut you want you do. And, but and I would like to see our area do more of that. Yeah, kind of like you guys yeah. do in the southwest. Yeah, and and there's actually a, a big event just happened, the Churrascada in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and uh, I was lucky enough to have some friends there, so they were sending me a lot of footage. And there's a guy that has built a giant steel rig. It put an entire cow on it and cooked it. Yeah. And you can see where, like you said, it's challenging. You know, there's thick parts, there's thin parts, and you can see where the fat almost cooked and it's like pouring out of certain parts. And it's a big spit, so it can spin, so yeah. you can hit different parts with heat. Uh, it's it's just, it, it's fascinating to me that out of nowhere almost, I mean, I know in South America it's popular, but now all of a sudden all over America you're seeing these chefs from Chicago, yeah. um, from Ohio, all getting rid of the fancy smokers and all this other stuff and being like, we're going to throw some coals on the ground we're going to hang some meat over it. <laughs> yeah. It's neat. I've seen some pretty unique contraptions. Yeah, like it. what? Uh, well, even just the other night, uh, last night having the pineapples and the things hanging around the peripheral edge of it and catching that, that side heat. Um, it's, it's, it works and it's very smart. I mean, just to kind of take advantage of the whole, the whole fire pit. Well, and, and those pineapples were soaked in rum and fireball, so that's, that's another <laughs> that added incentive. That was beautiful. Uh, <laughs> made quite a presentation, yeah. visually. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I asked this of the other ranchers, but, you know, I'll ask you too, Jeremiah. After a long day, after working for 12, 14, however many hours you are, do you have a favorite wine down? Do you like a, a cigar, a bourbon, a, just a local beer? What, what, what's kind of your way to wind down after a long day? Um, for me, it would be um, maybe a cold beer and uh, maybe just kind of riding through the cows one last time, being sure everybody's good, and then just going to our backyard and, and sitting down by the grill. To me, that's a perfect evening. I'm sure you got a beautiful sunset or something back there. Yes. Absolutely. Dawn till dusk type work. Yeah. And enjoy every minute of it. It's, it's feel very blessed to get up and work hard and see the sunrise. and. Um, you can look back and most days you can see you got something done and, and enjoy a good sunset. It's beautiful. <laughs> I'm about the same. My backyard is, is my sanctuary. Um, you ride your horse at the end of the day? Don't too. ride the horse, but we sit on the chair. We've got two bulldogs, so they're hanging out. Uh, my wife and, um, you know, we met, she was a wine rep coming into the restaurant years ago, so she got me on wine. So I sometimes I'll just, a crisp, wine and actually a little bowl of Cheez-Its. That's my little, you know, after sweating and stuff like that, like you just need something salty and, yeah. and lots of water. I mean, I'll probably drink two gallons of water a day. Me too. Just, just to sit out, listen to the birds, listen to the wind blow through the leaves. Because it's so hectic sometimes, the noise is just, it's just loud. There's a lot of stuff going on just to kind of sit in, sit in the quiet and just hang out. Kind of decompress. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, and I know you both, I mean, the, the weather has been unseasonably hot in the Carolinas, so you, know, you both have been working in the heat, whether it's in the kitchen or on the ranch. Right. And that's, it's the Carolinas. We know that it's going to get hot in the summertime, and yeah. sometimes it's not going to rain as much as we would like for it to, but we know that. 
It's for me. It's it's usually towards the end of August. I'm like, I'm ready for it to be over. Yeah. Summers it's, get long. Uh, August is is can be a tough one in Charleston with the humidity, yeah. uh, and so it's just it makes looking forward to fall uh, a lot of fun. Now, as far as you know, we're getting into the fall. Do you all get much snow? Or are you getting much of a winter here? Or is it pretty mild? It's pretty mild. We um, we may get a a good snow once every three years yeah and when it did when it does it's a catastrophic event <laughs> we um don't handle it very well but um we're um we're fairly mild and the cows can handle all that they can handle it cows cows handle cold weather very very well it's a, they're amazing creatures and um very adaptable would you say that the that you see maybe more or less marbling depending on how cold the winter is? Or is it usually more the feed that decides that? I think it would be more of um, nutrition that would would influence that. I think a really harsh weather event maybe could um, have some small effect, but it's mainly nutrition and care and management. Well, and speaking of care, I mean, we saw Troy uh, Hedrick today on, on stage, you know, really getting emotional about mm -hmm. the blizzard and his cattle. You know, the I, I think the thing that uh, people are realizing from this event is that it's not you're, you're not just saying, "Hey, we got a bunch of cows. Let's make sure that they marble good and sell them." Like yeah. you're really you're connecting with them every day. You're checking in on them. You're taking that extra ride to make sure they're they're good. And that, that's something that I think most people don't realize is that there's love that goes into this certified Angus beef and, and all the other cattle that you have. Uh, and I'm sure that helps when it comes to the table too, Jeremiah. You can be confident in you know, the ranchers that are bringing you your beef. I tell you, there's days when I think I've got a long day and then I think about these guys. And I'm like, man, because they go home and then they got to do the paperwork. You know, <laughs> I mean, it just, it's a 24 hours. And I do think um, ranchers and producers all across our country, it's just an unwritten promise that, that we're going to take care of the animals. We've been given the responsibility to be good stewards for the animals and the land. And um, I can tell you, ranchers um, oftentimes, to a fault, will put their cattle in front of themselves and maybe um, wrongfully sometimes even in front of their family but they take taking care of their cattle very, very seriously. What does that look like when that happens? Well, it's just, for instance, we heard from Troy today. He had his whole family out caring for cattle in a blizzard. He had his teenage children and really had pushed them hard. And it was um, not only dangerous for the cattle, but it was dangerous for his family to be out taking care of the cattle. But that, that was their responsibility, and that's what they did, and they did it to the very best of their ability, and they saved as many head as they could during that blizzard. Yeah, because, it, I mean, it's not only the the financial or the, the, the cost, but it's also, you know, you, you were given, you you birthed that calf, you were, you're raising them, so you don't want to lose one. You don't want one to be, you know, to, to, to die in a blizzard. That's not really the, the way that anyone wants to go. It's a, it's a horrible way to go. When events like that happen, just from experience, very rarely do we think about the economic impact. Sure, exactly. we think about it later, but we're thinking about a... A living creature that has, put, has been put under our care, and um, cattle producers take that very seriously. And with 1,500 head, I mean that's that's a lot of cattle to keep track of. It is. You yeah. know all their names? Um, not all, but know <laughs> most of them. <laughs> it's just incredible. It's a I can't even you know the, the it's hard to even imagine how, how much space that is. You know the, the hundreds of acres you have. Uh, 
to just to just think about you know what those drone shots look like. Right, and and most of those acres that we run cattle on would be unfit to raise um, vegetables or row crop. It could be sloping land. It could be land that, from fertility wise, is not up to raising a crop, but it raises grass very well. And that's what makes cattle such an amazing creature is that they can take. Um, fairly low quality grass and turn it into something very tasty like certified Angus beef. So to me they're amazing creatures that um, that I've never ceased to, to be amazed by what they can do. What were the four type of grass you had? You have clover? We do clovers, um, warm season perennial grasses like Bermuda grass or Bahia grass, um, cool season perennials like um, fescue or not for us, but even where we are today, they would use orchard grass. And then um, other grasses are, are forages like alfalfas or clovers or, or wheat, oats, yeah. triticale. Wow. It's amazing, especially in the southeast, we're blessed by a long growing season. So we can take a combination of these different grasses and forages and, and can have something grazable for our cattle most every day of the year. Yeah. So that's the blessing of being here in the southeast. And are you, are you seeding, or is that mostly natural grasses that are just coming out? Um, most um, grasses cattlemen would use would be perennials. So maybe they seeded them once with the hopes of them being there forever. Now, in some parts of our country, there would be native grasses, you know, in the plains of Kansas and in the plain section across our country. Um, but most here in the southeast, um, we would seed perennial grasses and hopefully take good care of that grass and it would be there for now and evermore. But we also might use some annual grasses like the small grains or the clovers or the millets or the sorbets. Wow. And uh, are you seeing, you know, do you have to replenish that or is it just, it's just there now? forever um no it, it requires just like a, a nice lawn or a nice flower garden it, it takes care you know it takes fertility it takes management something big for us is grazing management we just don't turn our cattle out on a pasture and say here have at it you know we use rotational grazing where we'll graze down a pasture to a acceptable height and give that and then move the cattle off that pasture and give that pasture time to to rest and come back much like the buffalo did naturally as they went across the plains, they would graze it down and they would, they would move on. And when they came back around, that grass had had time to, to rest and to grow back. So um, it's kind of nature's way of taking care of itself. That was going to be my next question was if you rotate them. I'm sure they kind of figure it out eventually, right, that it's time to go and because they're probably excited to eat the fresh grasses. Right, and it's um, something that they learn very quickly when they see us coming. Um, that most likely we're going to open a gate and they're going to get fresh pasture. And um, it really, they look forward to seeing us coming. And when, to me, that's one of the most gratifying things I get to do is, is to go and open that gate and um, watch those cattle go out on that fresh pasture and they, they spread out and they put, put their heads down and they don't make a, a sound other than you just hear them munching <laughs> that grass. I'm sure some of them are sticking their heads to the fence before you even get there. Yeah, yeah, but... Um, <laughs> That's uh, it is very gratifying to get to do that. Now, uh, I know that cattle can have their own personality as well. You ever have any troublemakers or some fun stories about maybe having one you had to chase down? You know, cattle are um, a lot like people. And um, it's been said that sometimes they even take on the personality of their owners. 
So um, we try to treat them as we would like for them to treat us. We um, use extreme care. We don't um, hoop and holler and beat and frail. We, um, we take care of them just like you would kind of your children um, or your family. And, um, and usually they respond very favorably for that. Docility or temperament is a very important trait in cattle. If, they're, um, if they've got kind of a nasty attitude, then um, they're not fun to be around. And, and research tells us they don't even go and high, uh, hang a very desirable product. It affects their quality grade. So that's a culling decision. Um, safety, these are big cows. You know, a mature cow is 12, 1400 pounds. Um, they can hurt you. Yeah. So um, temperament and docility is a big trait that we look at. We even have predictions that help us, even the genomic markers tell us how their docility is going to be. Wow. So um, that's something that we call for because as we sell in seed stock, um, life is just too short to, to have crazy cows. We want, <laughs> we want calm, very respectful, um, nice cows. That's yeah. a bumper sticker right there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and. Uh, I have uh, I have some friends that are you know they're not necessarily ranching, but they're they're getting into uh, bigger pieces of land. They're 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 acquiring maybe some goats and some donkeys, and they have a lot of fun stories of donkeys kicking down fences and things. So I always wonder when you have 1,500 head of cows, that's a that's a lot to manage. But it's beautiful that you know it's true that it's the same with horses, right? If you treat them well, they're going to be fine with you too. So. Uh, I have a, I have a question I always ask to anyone on on the show, and that is, you know, whether you're a cook or a rancher, uh, when you're getting into this hard work, uh, there's a lot of people that are interested in the beef industry. There's a lot of people that are interested in how to cook the best steak or, or opening their own restaurant. So, what's your message to the people who are looking to you for knowledge? That are looking to, you know, how would you tell people to go forward as a rancher or a, or a chef? As a chef, just start cooking. Get in there. Don't be shy. Um, and don't be, you know, if you don't do it right the first time, just it's, that's the process. It takes time. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of home cooks that will say, for instance, I, I want to make pasta, but I just, I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. You probably will, but just keep doing it. Keep doing it. You know, it'll get back on the horse. Um, we would be not very much different from Jeremiah one bit and, and actually we get the opportunity for young people that are getting in the farming business or even folks that might not be so young, this might be their second career. They might have um, had a very successful career and they've dreamed all their life of raising cattle. And um, we just tell them, it's just kind of like Jeremiah, just get started. Just get started and get after it. And. Um, Especially we tell young people, you don't have to be the smartest, you don't have to be the best looking, you don't have to be the richest, you don't have to, to jump the highest. You just got to get after it and be persistent and um, work hard and, and um, treat others like you like to be treated and usually things fall into place. Hard work kind of beats any kind of natural talent, right? Hard work's the best luck you can ever have. <laughs> and uh, do you have... Uh, you know, in, in the chef world, you stage, you go and you work for someone and kind of show your, your abilities. Is that something you take on ranch hands? It is very um, a big part of our, of our ranch. Um, we have had student interns that maybe come from a university. We've had over 
30 of those, and we've done it for over 30 years, where they come and spend a summer or spend a semester with us. Um, we have high schoolers. We have even some retirees that just want to come and hang out with us, and, and we're okay with that. We don't mind if they don't have any experience, just like Jeremiah. He, I'm, I keep waiting for him to come back because he had such um, joy in doing it. And um, we don't care if they've never done it, just as long as they have a desire to learn and don't mind getting dirty and working hard, sweating a little bit. Well, thank you, Jeremiah and Kevin. Uh, I appreciate y'all taking the time. You know, it's a big conference, there's a lot to do, and uh, it's great uh, to have the listeners get to hear your stories because y'all are working hard for the beef industry. <laughs> thank and you. Enjoying every minute of it. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you for your time. Yeah. <laughs> come in and meet me. All right. Y'all to see me eat now. I got jaws like a bear trap, a teeth like a razor. I made tack tongue with a sensitive taster. I was born out in Texas called the land of beef. Never catch a muscle green or showing the hell that like to meet him to meet man. Y'all to see me eat.